Frequency is for open-minded thinkers, for observers who are hopelessly curious, for experiencers of the mysterious, and for those who are passionate about perceiving the unknown. I will be sharing with you all my own exceptional experiences and other extraordinary constructs that exist in our reality. Welcome to Access Elysium. What's up and welcome to all of you beautiful souls out there. I'm your host, Amber O'Dell, and this is the Access Elysium podcast. And let's see what's going on here lately. So I started my new series, Best Friends Cult. That's been a lot of fun. We do go into so much more that it's not for free public consumption (laughs) in our VIP episodes. Um, You can always join our VIP. It's only $5 a month and you'll get to see a whole nother side of us. (laughs) So I encourage you to do that and to help support the show that way. Um, What else is going on? Oh, you know what? I started designing some merch. This is going to be fun. Uh, My creative juices are flowing. I've been writing music uh, that I'm going to be using for the shows and other things, making merchandise. I'm on a roll, people. So let's get to it. So have you ever wondered how humanity has grown and learned so much over the past however many thousands, if not millions of years? It has been through our beautiful mistakes. So coming up on the show today, we're going to dive into some of history's greatest mistakes, how mistakes reboot our motivation and have led to amazing discoveries, and how some religions have built their entire empires on the constant state of fear about making mistakes. So what the fuck are beautiful mistakes. Ah, I love this concept. It's one of the things that if somebody ever asks advice, you know, in any way, shape or form. And for me, I always like to say, it is okay to make mistakes, you will learn beautiful lessons and and information and ways to grow from them. All of us should constantly be making mistakes. I hope for you in this new year of 2023 that all of you make so many beautiful mistakes. It will change your life when the mistakes are no longer something that you feel that you have are a failure for, but that you see that you have grown and learned and expanded and become a whole different person because of this whole concept of being afraid of making mistakes. I mean, nobody wants to fuck up or fall flat on your face when you think you're doing so great, or when you just get blindsided by something that you are very ill prepared for. I mean, this happens constantly. It's and it's a good thing. It keeps us in this state of learning and growing and becoming more aware and conscious of the path that we should be on instead of being stagnant and staying the same and never wanting anything different so that you can just be like this forever. <laughs> I don't know, maybe some of you want to just be like this forever, but I don't. I want to I want to learn new things all the time. And so I am okay about making mistakes. I try to tell my children all the time. It is fine 
fine to make mistakes as long as you grow and learn from them. If you keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, what this means is that you haven't changed at all. You haven't been paying attention to your mistakes. You don't care about your mistakes or you aren't The mistakes are there trying to tell you, hey, you should probably change your ways. This is not working. Uh, this, This is a great process to live by, to accept and be excited for the beautiful mistakes. There's been plenty of times in my life where I did not think that I was gonna go on that path. Weird, crazy, horrible, wonderful, bad shit happens and it throws you off what you think you're going to be doing. And at first, when you're going through the mistake, it's awful. Ugh. Either you feel stupid or ashamed, or you're just, uh, it's not the plan that you are going for. Um, it totally derails something that you've been working on. Um, it it makes you change all of your plans. And when you're in it, ugh, it sucks. But when you get past it, you're like, oh man, if that never would have happened to me, I would never be where I am today. And I'm so thankful for the mistakes that I have made. So what are we going to get into? First, let's talk about some of the greatest mistakes in history. So we're going to start with Russia sells Alaska to the U.S. So in the 1860s, Alaska was part of Russia. What? I mean, I know I've taken history classes, but I guess I (laughs) I did not know that. However, when the Crimean War broke out, Russia found it was unable to defend this region against the combined powers of Britain, France, and Turkey. Back then, the importance of oil hadn't been established, and the prospect of gold mining in Alaska was, you know, not very big either. So with the possibility of Britain taking hold of Alaska and blocking Russia altogether, Seemed all too real. So Russia decided to sell it off to America in the hopes that this would upset Britain's plans. Russia sold off Alaska to the U.S. at a mere two cents an acre. Okay, um, let me tell you, acreage in Texas right now, oh my gosh, you could buy maybe six <laughs> acres for like a hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. I wish it was two cents an acre. However, this turned out to be one of the greatest mistakes in Soviet history. In just 50 years, the U.S. was able to earn from Alaska more than 100 times what they invested on the purchase. So next, we have the Leaning Tower of Pisa. The foundation for the Leaning Tower of Pisa was laid down in the year 1173. But due to the wars and other political reasons, the construction took 199 years to be completed. Wow. That's 200 years it took to build the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Holy shit. I didn't know that either. It's iconic lean, however, wasn't what the builders had originally desired. Nah, probably not. 
that's not like a normal thing in the architectural design. The tower began leaning early on during its construction because it was erected on soft soil. And so the foundation began giving way under its weight. Since then, many efforts have been made to stabilize the tower and prevent a collapse. At the same time, maintaining the lean, which it has made it so popular. Nobody knows this of the Tower of Pisa. It is always known as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Can you imagine though? Okay, so if it took 200 years to be completed and they built this in the year 1173, they were probably pissed for like, what, the first 100 years after that? They're like, fucking hey, this piece of shit building. <laughs> but how long did it take until they were like, no, this is cool. We're just going to call it the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I mean, how long did that mistake last until they found a remedy to make it cool? I feel like that might be the key to some of our mistakes. Is how long are we going to let it be a mistake before we let it be something that has we can use to improve on our lives by changing it to be a positive thing. I don't know. That's probably a good life lesson there. A Chernobyl disaster is our next thing. Whew, I don't know. This one. Noted as being the worst nuclear disaster in the history of mankind, or at least modern mankind, because I don't know, I've read some things that we probably had some kind of nuclear power a long time ago. What was it in Africa that they found some kind of dig that had evidence of a nuclear power plant of some kind? I don't know. I got, I'm going to look into that one. But the meltdown of the reactor at Chernobyl is believed to have resulted from gross negligence on the part of the authorities' responsibilities. So on April 26, 1986, nuclear experts ran a test on one of the four reactors at Chernobyl in Ukraine, So, which was then the Soviet Union. They turned off the backup cooling system and made use of only eight boron carbide rods to control the rate of atomic fission instead of the 15 that were mandated by the standard testing procedure. They were like, we don't need all those. We're just going to fuck all that. We're going to just do our own thing. This led to an uncontrollable chain reaction, which destroyed the steel and concrete lid of the reactor and emanated close to 100 times more radiation than the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs combined. Like, that's a lot. In the Chernobyl disaster... 4,300 people perished, and more than 70,000 became permanently disabled. This was awful. Like, this severely hurt the environment, the people, the society, everything around this place. So now many people think the area around Chernobyl nuclear plant is like a place of a post-apocalyptic desolation. I've seen pictures. I don't know how long ago I looked at pictures, but as a kid, I remember being like, whoa. That's zombie land right there. More than 30 years after the facility's reactors exploded, science tells us something very different. Researchers have found that the land surrounding the plant, which has been largely off 
limits to humans for three decades or more, um, has become a haven for wildlife with lynx, bison, deer, and other animals roaming through thick forests that have grown there. So this so-called Chernobyl Exclusion Zone, the CEZ, which covers almost 3,000 square kilometers of northern Ukraine, now represents the third largest nature reserve in mainland Europe and has become an iconic, if accidental, experiment in rewilding. So they're seeing all this crazy growth with the fungi and the animals and the insects, like things they've never seen before. Growth that has been sparking new interest in science and to helping ways that we know how to deal with something like this in the future and how to um, pretty much revert back to a natural state of ecosystem existence when something like this happens. So here are a few fun facts about Chernobyl. Sweden was actually the first to send an alert that something was wrong. Wow. Um, Nobody lives in Chernobyl. No humans still live in Chernobyl now. Uh, You can still die from radiation in Chernobyl. uh, But the animals are doing well, but are also radioactive. So if there were humans living there, is this where all of our super human people are going to come from? (laughs) I don't know. But next on the list of things that were beautiful mistakes is J.K. Rowling was rejected by 12 publishers. Yeah, 12 of them. So J.K. Rowling, who was a client of the Christopher Little Literacy Agency, was rejected 12 times in a row for her first novel. Finally, when the eight-year-old daughter of an editor at Bloomsbury expressed her desire to read the rest of the book, Bloomsbury decided to publish Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. However, the editor believed that this novel would be a major flop and even went to the extent of advising Rowling to look for a backup daytime job. So what happened subsequently in history is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which was released in 1997 in the UK, and the following four novels in the series became the fastest selling books ever, ever with a total of 450 million copies sold worldwide. It is the best-selling book series in literary history, and she failed and made a beautiful mistake 12 times before getting accepted. Now, I don't know if she was the one who necessarily failed on this. I was probably the 12 publishers failed, 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 mistake, mistake, mistake. Can you imagine being one of those publishers? And they're just like, Oh my God. (laughs) But I bet you they learned from that beautiful mistake. So next we have Walt Disney. So Walt Disney was told he lacked creativity. Oh man. One of the most creative geniuses of the 20th century was once fired from a newspaper because he was told he lacked creativity. And trying to persevere, Disney formed his first animation company, which was called Laughogram Films. He raised $15,000 for the company, but eventually was forced to close Laughogram following the close of an important distributor partner. So fell apart, failed, mistake, Laughogram, nobody knows about that. (laughs) 
But desperate and out of money, Disney found his way to Hollywood and faced even more criticism and failures. So many failures and mistakes until his first few classic films started to skyrocket in popularity. And we all know about Walt Disney to this day. Everybody on the planet knows who Walt Disney is. And look how many times he made mistakes before getting to where he is. Beautiful, beautiful mistakes. So Milton Hershey started three candy companies before Hershey's took off. Everybody knows Hershey's chocolate. But when Milton Hershey's first started his candy production career, he was a nobody. After being fired from an apprenticeship with a printer, Hershey started three separate candy-related ventures, and he was forced to watch all of them fail. Oh, they, they made so many mistakes. In one last attempt, Hershey founded the Lancaster Caramel Company and started seeing enormous results. Believing in his vision for milk chocolate for the masses, he eventually founded the Hershey Company and became one of the most well-known names in the industry. So draw inspiration from these stories, okay? Like, everybody knows who Hershey's is because I think they bought, like, everything. They own, like, everything. They own, like, water and, like, they're one of the big elite companies that is buying up the world. Um, he failed miserably on his face multiple times. Thank goodness he made these beautiful mistakes because look at where he is now. So keep learning from these mistakes. You know, revisit your passion. Don't let it stop you and get in the way of your goal. This is not something that's stopping you from your goal. This is something that is moving you in the right direction to meet your goals. Maybe they weren't the goals that you thought you needed. But Albert Einstein, here's another one. Despite being known as a true genius today, this intellectual didn't have a very great start. Uh, let's just say that he was, uh, an understatement is saying that he was running behind in his childhood. Like, no, he is not the brightest from day one. As a kid, he didn't even begin to speak a word until he was four years old. But a few years later, his elementary school teachers considered him lazy because he would ask abstract questions that made no sense to others. Um... I can relate to that. I don't know that. I, <laughs> I don't know if any of my teachers thought I was lazy because I liked learning, but probably while questions that have nothing to do with how <laughs> they're trying to teach me. But he kept on anyways, eventually formulating the theory of relativity, something most of us still can't understand today. I mean, I'm I'm in it to win it, but I know that this kind of thinking is very abstract and not a lot of people are are down with that. They're like, meh. I don't know. I don't get it. I'm going to do something else. So I found on MarksDailyApple.com six reasons why mistakes are important for success. So mistakes move us to learn. So sure, yeah, um, failing sucks. I mean, you know, <laughs> when the sting wears off, we find ourselves more open to the feedback of the experience. So mistakes can free us from the delusion that there is only one way of doing something. Mistakes help us absorb this truth very quickly, like it's in your face now. Uh, we land in a place of teachability, a place in which we're most receptive to new influences and perspectives. So maybe we've been stuck in a fitness routine that serves us well in like our 20s or 30s, 
And that doesn't meet our needs in later decades. I know how that goes. And it took an injury to finally realize it, that you need to change something. After the inevitable regret, the point here is that we become willing to learn, willing to do it a different way. We're motivated to avoid that injury now. Our brains themselves are even supercharging these efforts, operating on heightened sensitivity. Research shows we have a unique form of memory known as error memory, which helps us perform motor tasks differently when we have made an error. You never lose. You either win or you learn. Mistakes free us from sabotaging fears and help us take more positive risks. What does that mean? Okay, it's amazing what fear can do to you and your health efforts. I mean, when we fear a certain outcome, we give it energy and attention. And the more you feed something, the bigger it gets and the more it affects you. Our mind at times can even compulsively get completely wound around something that we are afraid of. We become so entranced with trying to desperately get away from this fear that we actually end up falling right into it. And then it's done. So having fallen into the thing we have feared the most, there's kind of a certain relief sometimes when that happens. And suddenly it doesn't seem like such a catastrophe to live with. Not our first choice, uh, but not the complete disaster that we stressed so much about with our fear. There's a certain fearlessness that comes with failure. As in multiple failures, time and time again, it's one way elite athletes actually build resilience and hone in on their discipline. Because the more fearless you are, the less inhibited we are. And then this opens up all kinds of major possibilities. So another thing is, Mistakes reboot our motivation. So hitting a major snag in life changes things immediately. And suddenly we're not operating on autopilot anymore. We have to think once again about what we're doing. We have to be solution minded. And to do that, we reinvest in ourselves. We are re booting and are getting motivated to be like, oh, no, 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 we got to do something different here. And mistakes remind us that it's just all this big, grand experimental game. Okay, so finally, mistakes oblige us to remember that all of our efforts, whatever they come to or don't come to, are how we meet this game of life every single day. The more passionately we play this game, the more we get out of it. But that means that the more times that we fail, not fewer times, the screw-ups and even the errors of colossal proportions makes us have more of a greater game of life. Mistakes keep us flexible and engaged with life rather than in a routine. And which life would you rather have? Uh, we know which one I want. <laughs> but when it comes to science, failure is how research advances. Yet it hardly features in theoretical perspectives on science. That is a mistake. It is a mistake that we do not talk about more of the mistakes that we make in science. Failures are fruitful in their own right. Science fails constantly. It seems to fail at a very high rate and very regularly. Experiments go wrong. Measurements do not deliver the anticipated results. Probes are contaminated. Models are misleading or do not represent what they're supposed to represent. And some inappropriately applied techniques lead to false positives. 
One may wonder why science is so successful despite such prevalent failures, but really to think about it is to suggest that it is successful because of them. Instead of a hindrance to scientific progress, a frequently overlooked positive characteristic of science is that it inevitably must fail to achieve an important job that it is set out to do, which is discover. I mean, you have to fail to discover new things. And the I think the hardest part about being in the scientific community is that people who have uh, just dedicated their entire lives to certain research that they thought was the way ends up being very, very wrong. And they don't want to let go of what they've done for so long and the proof that they thought that they had to accept that something needs to change and be different. And that's what holds us back in all kinds of different fields, in science, in medicine, in in history. Oh, people don't want to change history on things that they thought that they knew forever about. That would just change everything. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. (laughs) We don't know everything. And when we think we do, that's the problem. It is okay to fail. Man, let's tell everybody about all more of our failures so that everybody else feels okay about knowing that that's what you're supposed to do to learn and to grow. So some of the greatest scientific breakthroughs have been accidentally discovered within a laboratory by failures. So misjudging or miscalculating the lab can be huge, hugely costly for a research team. I mean, having invested tons of time and money and effort into an unsuccessful venture, ugh, it's sucky. But however, sometimes lab workers get lucky and accidentally discover a scientific principle or breakthrough, which would otherwise have remained unknown if they didn't fuck shit up. Here we have a look at some of the world's greatest accidental scientific discoveries that I found on mynewlab.com blog slash accidental scientific discoveries and breakthroughs. So penicillin, first on the list, something I'm allergic to. Weird story there. Okay. So just had my son, first kid, and I don't know what happened, but I needed some penicillin. He's still in diapers. I start taking this penicillin and then I start noticing that my eyesight is fading to blackness and it starts doing this like every couple minutes. Like it's, I lose all eyesight for about 30 to 45 seconds before it comes back in the middle of trying to change shitty diapers (laughs) of a little baby. I was like, something is wrong. Went to the doctor. They're like, yeah, no, you should not ever take that again. It you could permanently go blind. I was like, ah, okay. I don't know if that's like a big um, common reaction to penicillin, but that was mine. So, um, but the good part about penicillin is it does help millions of people. So one of the biggest medical breakthroughs in history came about entirely by accident. Sir Alexander Fleming interrupted his experimentation with the influenza virus for a two-week holiday. And when he returned, he found that a mold had started to grow, which deterred the virus. Penicillin was born and is now used to treat everything from acne to pneumonia. Really? I didn't know that. Um, yeah, total accident. Failed. But guess what? Oh, ended up saving millions from that failure. What a beautiful mistake. 
Viagra. Yep. That was not the plan for that one. And for a lot of guys out there, what a great mistake. Originally aiming to develop a treatment for angina, Pfizer found their new prototype drug was igniting erections in men during the tests. And so a quick PR campaign was created and Viagra was born. Voila! Hard dicks everywhere. (laughs) That was a great side effect for some. Beautiful mistake. Plastic. Yes, plastic. A little over a century ago, the Belgian scientist Leo Beckenland, sure, accidentally made plastic. Originally naming the mixture after himself, Bakelite. How do you even say this guy's name? The scientist accidentally revolutionized pretty much everything in production and manufacturing. This guy changed the world. Can you, do you know how much plastic there is in the world now? There's so much plastic in the world that it is in every single human's DNA now. It is inside of us. That's how much plastic there is. Yeah. Uh, Another thing, the microwave. As World War II was drawing to a close, engineer Piercy Spencer was attempting to develop energy sources for radar equipment. Well, it didn't work out. And Spencer did realize the chocolate bar in his pocket had melted and went on to test his accidental invention by making popcorn. Oh, microwaves. This really did change everything. But you know what? Sometimes I always think about microwaves and I'm like, wow, is this really is this really good for us? Because what is it doing? It's like it's literally scrambling your food on a molecular level so that it's not really like what it was before. And then you're eating it and putting it in your body. Oh, no. I feel like we should probably not do that. But I do it all the time. I use the microwave every day. Look at me. But Vaseline. Yeah. So Robert Chesbro was so enamored when he accidentally discovered Vaseline that he started using it for all kinds of purposes, even eating a spoonful every day. Chesbro was originally on the hunt for oil when the petroleum jelly made itself known. So very, very popular. Um product here strikeable matches at the end of an amazing chain of events english pharmacist john walker accidentally got a lump of his fun new mixture of anatomy sulfide i think that's right and potassium chlorate on the end of his mixing stick naturally he tried to scratch it off and it burst into flames a terrifying but incredible breakthrough yep Matches. Very popular. Nice to have. Thanks so much, John Walker. Uh, Gunpowder. Most of these accidental discoveries came about as a result of scientists trying to create something similar to the final product. However, 9th century Chinese alchemists couldn't have been further from success when they accidentally developed gunpowder. They were trying to find an elixir for eternal life. Wow, what a flip on that script. They're like, life? Nope, death. (laughs) So thank you, Chinese. Another one is cornflakes. Yeah, 
the daily breakfast of millions of people all around the world. Cornflakes were invented when Will Keith Kellogg accidentally left some wheat on the boil. The world's most famous cereal was created and a dynasty was born by a beautiful mistake. And here's the last one on the list. Anesthesia. Thank God goodness for that one. During the early 1800s, ether and nitrous oxide were both widely abused by folks attending laughing parties. Oh, they had laughing parties? (laughs) I would have attended the laughing parties. When the laughter died down, someone pointed out the substance could help mask pain and anesthesia was born. See? This is so great. (laughs) So there's so much to the art of failing and making mistakes. Failure mistakes seem to be a very common reason for us to give up learning a new skill. Prime example right here. Okay, so I used to write music 20 years ago. I loved it. I miss it to this day. Uh, And I've always wanted to buy another keyboard so that I could start playing the piano and music again. And ugh, it just did not raise to the prior top of the priority list for me because it's really expensive now to do that. And so just, you know, not that long ago, I decided, okay, I think one of my plans got canceled for the day and I had nothing to do. And so I decided, you know what? I need to learn how to start writing music on the computer. This is how people do it all the time now. They're not sitting down and playing it out on these keyboards, which I still wish that I could get one. (laughs) Maybe someday. But I made my ass sit down and get on the computer and start learning how I could write music on the computer. And it was really, I, I had to rewire my brain, it felt like, because for me, music would pop into my head and then it would come out of my fingers as I could play it on chords on this keyboard. I would play it through my hands or I would sing it you know, with my voice. This is how it would come out of me. And so I had to completely restructure the way that I was going to be seeing the sounds and, and structuring them on the computer instead. And oh my gosh, I had so much fun. Within the first 48 hours, I had written my first song in 20 years and I was in love all over again. Oh my God, it was so great. I have this whole new skill now. I could structure music completely different in my mind and in front of me than I did 20 years ago. And it's magical. Oh my gosh. So back in the day, I had to create every single sound, every single note, every single beat originally by myself from scratch. And now oh, at your fingertips, you have all these loops and samples and sounds that are already structured in like one beat, four beat, eight beat, like, uh, oh my gosh, I am thumbing through thousands and thousands, like 200,000 sounds, creating 40 track songs (laughs) with all of these sounds. And it is so beautiful and it's so great. And I had to fail miserably at it all day long and watch YouTube videos and try to figure out, no, that didn't fucking work. I don't know what I'm doing. And now, oh my gosh, I'm only like a couple weeks in and I've improved so much because of all the mistakes that I made. I would have never gotten as far as if I hadn't fucked up this computer program and and had to learn from my mistakes. 
So people who are high achievers see failures and mistakes as feedback and as temporary challenges to overcome, not as a reflection of who they are as a person. Your mistakes do not define you as a person, even the big ones. Like sometimes the really, really big ones, you know, like the murderers and the rapists, those, well, I don't know, that's probably going to define you. (laughs) Don't do that. But your other mistakes, that is not who you will be and who you are forever. It is a moment and you learn from it. I am not the same person I was when I was five, when I was 12, when I was 22, when I was 35. I'm a new person all the time. Yeah, I have like routines and things that are similar about me and that make me me, but my mistakes don't make me who I am. They don't make you who you are. You choose to make you who you are from your mistakes. Your success is the result of moving from one challenge to another challenge without losing your motivation from your mistakes. So we shouldn't be afraid. Success comes from taking action and correcting the things that are not working. So the pursuit of your goals and development and your skills, if you follow this principle, you don't need to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. Perfection is in the imperfections. So don't be afraid to make mistakes. Fuck it up, fuck it up, fuck it up. I remember, again, I think I've told this story, a friend of mine that was a photographer uh, with this company, and and she was telling me, and she's such a great soul that, you know, she was just afraid of messing up. I was like, girl, fuck it up, fuck it up, fuck it up. Who cares? Don't be afraid to mess something up. Oh, my God, go do it right now. Go fuck it up right now. (laughs) Get over that fear. It's going to be so much better for you in the long run. You know, fear can be one of the things that's getting in a lot of people's way. Why are we afraid to try new things? Um, I think society has been built around this structure that you're supposed to be living in fear when it comes to certain religions of making mistakes and what you should be doing so that you can get into the next place of existence. I'm like, you need to get that pass. You you need to make somebody's watching you. Somebody is looking at you. Don't make a mistake. And I mean, they're not wrong about some of it. Yeah. Somebody's watching you. Eyes on you. There is an observer. This place is being observed. You are the observer. Somebody's observing you. Somebody's observing them. But mistakes born into sin? Ugh, I don't know. I always hate that one. I'm like, what? We're all mistakes. We're all just one big mistake is how we got here. I hope so. <laughs> if this is true, yay, we accidentally got here. This place is great. Let's keep doing that. You know, so I found on, what is it called? SofaArchon.com, the negative effects of religion on our society. So religion is kind of filling people with lots of fear. Religion is one of the basic reasons why people are afraid of living. Now, when they say living, they don't mean like surviving, like rocks survive. 
Uh, living is completely different. To live means to be sensitive and to discover your potential and achieve higher states of being. And you can't do that without making mistakes. The problem is, is that the starting point of religion is fear. So religion, I mean, like, at least when it comes to Christianity and Judaism, is based on the idea of sin. All people are born sinners, impure souls. And if they don't purify themselves, they will soon be condemned to hell by God, where they will have to experience eternal suffering. What a crack of, never mind. (laughs) I mean, wow. What a scary thing to put on people just because they exist. Like, okie dokie. In order to avoid being thrown into hell, religion demands that people prove to God that they are worthy of heaven. And how? By following this religion. And naturally, when they're put in such a situation, they find themselves in a continuous state of fear. They're always afraid of whether their actions are right or according to their religion or not, if they're making mistakes, if they're messing up. Um, when you believe that you are being constantly watched by an all-seeing eye of God, um, you, you might be, you probably are. And guess who God is? It's you. Um, You have to act in certain ways to please this God. And the fear of hell is always in your mind, filling you with worry and anxiety. And this does not allow you to live spontaneously. You know, you, you are afraid to make mistakes. And it's turning people against themselves. The demands that religion places on people are sometimes very unrealistic in my eyes. This is just, you know, my opinion here. Uh, Religion on one hand teaches that people were born sinners and sin is what we're made of. And whatever we humans are doing is bound to be corrupted in one way or another. And they're not wrong. (laughs) But it's supposed to be like this. You're supposed to do this. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. Sin sounds so horrible. And I don't feel like that's what we are. On the other hand, you know, a religion teaches people to behave in the best way possible um, to be good people and try not to, you know, do bad things and be sinners. Um, But obviously, people aren't perfect. They're not angels. Um, How are we supposed to act in this unnatural way if that is not the natural way of finding and discovering and expanding and learning? I mean, they've made all these consequences for us to keep us like in line. So when you fail to do what God has ordered you to do, you start like second guessing yourself and, and, and having these Uh, doubts in yourself. You begin to accept the idea that you are indeed unworthy. And once you do so, your mind becomes filled with like, you know, a resentment and, and frustration for yourself. And that is true hell on earth. In in my opinion, like you don't want to, you don't want to do that to yourself. You don't want to do that to others. And then others are just a projection of yourself. All these other people, a mirror on whom you see is your own reflection sometimes. That's why once you start, you know, disliking yourself, you're bound to start disliking other people too. When you accept the idea that you are a mistake and that you're born into this, um, you see everybody else that way too. And I don't know. I just, ah, 
I get frustrated with religion sometimes. All religions are different. They all have these special rules. And if you fail to follow the rules, you're not going to make it to their heaven or their level. And I don't, I don't feel like that's has anything to do with anything. I feel like the rules should be do no harm, help others, you know, yeah, don't hurt people. Don't don't do all that kind of stuff. Ew, no. But it, you don't want to be trapped into thinking that you can't try something new and you can't make a mistake and you can't grow even out of a religion. Oh, that sounds sounds kind of scary to say outside, uh, you know, out loud. But knowledge and wisdom are incompatible with some kinds of religious ideologies. You know, religion is confining people's minds and finding the truth outside of that is really hard to do when you are restricted to this one path. Um, And it keeps you blind from all kinds of beautiful mistakes that you could be making. Um, I don't know. So like for me, how you are here. Like we're all here. You didn't have to believe in a certain religion to get here. You did not have to follow certain belief systems to get here. We're all here. I mean, if we all had to follow one thing to get here, we none of, I mean, all of us would be under the same thing and we're not. Um, the next place that we're going, you probably don't have to follow all the same rules to get there either. Like, make some mistakes. My kids were not mistakes. When they were born, they were not sinners. They were beautiful, pure little lights of joy. And nobody's ever going to change my mind on that. I don't care what you say about that. <laughs> There's some weird stuff, though. Like I started researching into like Bible stuff on like if you make all these mistakes, how do you get into heaven and all the rules and regulations of it. So here's something, a cray cray that I found. What does Romans 3.10 mean? So Paul has proclaimed in the previous verse that everyone, Jew and non-Jew alike, is under sin. He's showing that Jews cannot hope to be shielded from God's judgment for their personal sin simply because they belong to the nation of Israel. Every person, Jew or Gentile, will be judged by God on the basis of their own right or wrong choices. By that standard, every person will be found to be under sin or guilty and deserving of God's anger. What? I don't. Okay. Now, Paul begins to back up that claim with a series of quotes from the Hebrew scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament. Ooh, Old Testament. Messy. He wants to show that the idea of universal sinfulness is not a new idea. David wrote the same thing in Psalm 14.3. There is none who does good not even one. The following two verses will complete the reference, which thoroughly eliminates the possibility that any person has ever done good sufficient to make them holy in the eyes of God. What? There's not a single good person here? Who is in charge of this? Okay. The verse is often quoted and for good reason. The idea that all people without exception are indeed of salvation 
is a key point of the gospel. Scriptures leave no room for anyone to claim they are good enough to deserve heaven. No matter if you live the best possible, genuinely loving, good, caring, helping life. Whatever your background, whatever your beliefs, but especially for Christians, no matter what you do, you can't get into heaven based on your behavior. That doesn't matter. What? I thought you were supposed to be following all these fucking rules so that you could be let into heaven so that way <laughs> I don't so no doesn't matter doesn't matter how good of a person you are what matters is that only Christ alone can save people from their sin and because he alone is sinless and righteous mm I question that also. There's lots of stories about Christ when he was a teenager about like shit that wasn't very righteous. So how does Christ's righteousness enable people to go to heaven? Christ lived a sinless life on earth. And that's what they want to believe, which enabled him to be a perfect sacrifice for sin. And through faith, Christ's righteousness is transferred to sinners so they can be saved. People don't go to heaven based on their good works. The good works are a result of like, you know, doing what you're told to do through the gospel. Christians don't do good works to be saved. They do good works because they are are saved. How confusing. So Jesus is like the bouncer to get into heaven. It doesn't matter what you've been doing as long as you're like, I, I can you get me in? I believe in you. And he's like, yeah, if you believe in me, you can come on in. <sighs> so crazy. All your good deeds and all the rules that you follow and all the mistakes you try not to make don't get you into to Jesus heaven. Only Jesus, the bouncer of heaven, can let you in. <laughs> wow. This is so interesting. I don't know how I feel about it, but I do know that make your mistakes. Don't be worried that you're not going to get into heaven because you've made mistakes. We all got here so that we can make mistakes. We are all going to get to the next place probably by mistake all over again. And it's wonderful to know that this is what we're here to do. It is okay. I hope you all have beautiful failures this year that help you to grow and to learn and to try new things and get outside of your box and, you know, learn a new skill or uh, try something you've been afraid to do. This is how you're going to have a more interesting and fulfilled life in this game here on earth. So I hope that you guys have enjoyed the time that we have spent here together. I sometimes go off on little tangents and that is what makes this such great therapy for me. <laughs> to get this stuff out because this is a normal conversation for me in my regular day. Boy, am I glad that I've got this podcast as my own therapy to work through 
my own mistakes that I make all the time. Boy, I make tons of mistakes just making this podcast. Do you know how much editing goes into this? <laughs> making lots of beautiful mistakes here. And I hope you do too before you come back again for the next Access Elysium podcast. Please.